This morning, I'd like to talk to you about the afterlife and what it's going to be like. Now, I'm intentionally not using the word heaven. See, the Bible sees a difference between heaven as it exists right now and a new heaven and new earth that's to come. So as I talk about the afterlife today, what I'm talking about is the latter more than the former. You know, call it what you want. What happens after Judgment Day or the Day of the Lord or when Jesus comes again or the second coming? I like how the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts this. We're not talking so much about life after death as we are life after life after death. And I think all of us, no matter what we believe, what our religious background happens to be, or what what our worldview has, I think all of us have questions about the afterlife. And I think for a lot of us, the uncertainty of it all, though, the uncertainty of it all leads us to kind of push the questions away when they start coming up in our minds. And I think it's because it's filled with so much uncertainty that the what-if factor is such an unknown that it scares us. Who knows what's going to happen, we say. Who knows what's going to be like, and what if it isn't good? Or if at best it's just nothing. And so we kind of tuck any thought about the afterlife over there when it starts crashing through our mind, focusing on the now in its place. But for Christians, it's different. Because when we think of the future, it fills us with hope. See, God's promises, they're incredible. God comes promising eternal life and the resurrection of the dead. Man, it raises all kinds of questions. What, what will that be like? I mean, how old will I be? You know, you ever think about this kind of stuff? It's like, okay, so if I die, and then when eternal life starts, I'm 46. Am I still 46, or do I come back as like a 20-year-old version of me? What if I'm 80 and I die? Oh my gosh, Lord, please, are you really bringing me back in my 80s? Or, or worse, what if I die and I'm an infant? Am I like eternally, infinity, perpetually like getting my diaper changed? You know what I mean? And unable to talk. And whenever I come back in the afterlife, like will I age? Like will I go from 10 to 20 to 30 to 400 to 500 to 10,000. And with that, what does that look like if I age? Or am I fixed? Am I static? Am I always kind of the same? I heard people asking questions like this, like, will I, will I eat? Will I walk? Will I play? Will I wear clothes? We hope. Maybe the more important questions. Will my loved ones be there? My friends, my family, will I get to see my wife? I mean, I know that Jesus says that in the age to come, we'll neither be married nor given in marriage. So what does that mean for my relationship with with her or with him? Will we have something that's 
better and more intimate than marriage? Or was marriage just something that we enjoyed for a time and now we've gone on to, hey, how are you? I mean, will my dog be there? We most certainly know your cat won't be, but will my dog? It, will, will that be there? And, and like, what will we do? All day. I mean, the Bible, Revelation pictures it as like this, this, this great multitude that no one could count surrounding the throne of the Lamb and day and night singing his praises and crying out things like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That sounds a lot like church to me. Are you telling me that for infinity we're going to be in church? I mean, we can barely tolerate it for an hour a week right now. It sounds, I think, to many of us, hopelessly boring, which raises questions of, what will I be like? And not so much even my body now, but my personality. Will I be someone who wants to be in church 24 hours a day, singing praises to the Lamb? And what other idiosyncrasies of my personality will exist? My sense of humor, my deviousness, my... my, my teasing nature. What will I be like? We're filled with questions about the afterlife. And you know, I just don't fully know. Make no mistake, the Bible paints a picture of a bright hope. But it doesn't speak into all the questions that we have. Instead, it does something different. It gives us images. I love how the Christian author J.R.R. Tolkien pictures this. He talks about how the gray rain curtain of this world will be rolled back and all will turn to silver glass. And then you see it. White shores and beyond it, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Or I think of the Christian apologist, C.S. Lewis, who talks about it as being something more real. It's more real than what we experience and exist here today. More real as waking is to a dream or the real is to a shadow. In fact, he calls life as we know it now, the Shadowlands. He'll describe it as coming to the end of the school term and the holidays just beginning. He'll talk about it as, in one sense, the end of a great story where they all lived happily ever after. Yet more, more accurately, all of our life now being nothing more than the cover and the title page to a great story that's just beginning, a greater story where each chapter is better than the last. He'll talk about it as a journey where we continually move further up and further in. I think of the prophet Isaiah describing it as is a great feast, a lavish feast filled with 
the finest of wines for all people with the best of meats and the choicest of wines, a feast where the shroud of death has been removed forever, a feast where all nations can come and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, a place where God will take away their disgrace. I love elsewhere how Isaiah pictures as it is a place where the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, the lion, and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them a place where the bear will feed with the cow and the lion will eat straw like an ox, where the infant will play near the hole of the cobra and put his hand into the viper's nest, a place where they will neither harm nor destroy on God's holy mountain because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the the waters cover the sea. I think of the images that unfold from the Bible. Jesus will talk about it as a great party, a wedding feast, a wedding banquet. Not the boring one that you got invited to for your second cousin or friend from work. No, think of your wedding. The best that it could be with the joy of together, with family and friends coming to celebrate you and celebrate with each other and to celebrate something good that's happening in the midst. The revelry, the celebration, the joy, as though this could keep on going with the fullness of the anticipation and hope and hunger and yearning for the consummation that is soon to come. Revelation will picture it like an Eden reborn, but now as a city, a great and wonderful city that's opulent to the sight, a city that dazzles the eye with light and vibrance, a city where the tree of life grows, giving healing to the nations and streams of waters flow, bringing life and goodness to those who surround, producing crops every month of the season. It pictures it as a new heaven and new earth where the first heaven and first earth as we know it, have passed away where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For as it says, the old order of things has passed away. I think of Daniel saying that we will shine like the brightness of the stars, the hope of resurrection, the hope of life, the hope in the presence of God. I can only imagine, I can only imagine what it will be like I love how the Christian songwriter Bart Miller wrestles with this sense of anticipation and hope of the unknown that is to be better by far. Look at these words from the line in the song, surrounded by your glory. What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to sing at all? I can only imagine. The Bible is filled with hope of an afterlife to come that defies our ability to even come to grasps with just how good, how amazing and personal and powerful with God it will be.
But of all these images that the Bible teases out and that Jesus speaks of and the prophets and the apostles play with, there is a chapter in the Bible that's absolutely pivotal when it comes to talking about life after life after death. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But see, here's the problem. It's long. And it's wordy. And it's a bit confusing, too. And in my experience, we as people often just don't have patience for deep explanation of things. You know, maybe that's something that will change in the afterlife. I, I hope that it does. But where it leaves us now is God telling us less about the questions that we have while simultaneously telling us more about things we don't care to ask. Which leaves us with the problem today because how do we then dig into what God wants us to understand about the afterlife when a medium like this, a monologue and apart from each other, just defies the patience that we're willing to bring to what God has to speak today. And so I've been wrestling with this, how to tap and mine the richness and the depth and the beauty and the insight and the direction that this chapter gives. And so I thought what I would do is distill out one thing, leave you with one thing and a corresponding analogy. And it's this. First Corinthians says this, that in the future, at that time, in the afterlife of life after life after death, you and I, we will all be changed. And then the analogy that Paul, the writer of this letter in the New Testament, gives is that of a seed. Let me show you the passage. Coming out of 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. Someone may ask... How are the dead raised? I mean, come on, think about this. What kind of body will they come back with? And I love how Paul answers this. He's like, what are you talking about, man? How foolish. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. And what he invites us to do is see our life in this world today like a seed like a seed of something greater that is to come. I want to give you a couple of pictures here today. I want to show you an acorn up against an oak tree into which it'll grow. I think I just lost my picture there. I'll let you guys hook it up there. Thank you. Look at this. Think about an acorn or any seed, really, in relation to the shrub or plant or tree to which it will grow. Now, if you've never had biology, if you're not really trained in anatomy or zoology or forestry or, or you're not a gardener or something like that, imagine someone for the first time seeing an acorn and seeing it against a tree. They look completely different. The acorn looks nothing like that. In fact, if you were to go to someone who didn't know better and said, this is that, 
I mean, they would laugh at you. I mean, the one is small, infinitesimal in comparison. The amount of differences seem to outweigh the similarities 10 to 1. But for those of us who know better, we know that embedded within that acorn, within that seed, is something to which it will grow, something that is similar, even the same. That the material in that acorn is only at the beginning of the glory of which it will be. And Paul turns around and says, that's what it will be. That's what it will be like at the resurrection. Both discontinuity and continuity. Difference and similarity. Or being Mother's Day, maybe this is a better way of thinking about it. Think about the difference between a fetus and a full-grown, mature, adult human being. Or even if you don't have the in utero shots, look at a baby picture and look at the difference between your baby and a picture of him or her in her 30s. In one sense, they look very little alike. They're very different, but what is here in this beginning form will grow and blossom to a fuller glory of what it is meant to be. And Paul says, that's what it'll be like. And then he points us to Jesus. Because what will it be like? Fundamentally, it will be like him. Paul will write about Jesus as being a firstfruits and the firstborn from among the dead. Let me show you this passage out of 1 Corinthians right now. Look at what Paul says when he writes this. Just as we are now like Adam. You know Adam from Genesis, right? The first human made in God's image, made from the dust of the ground, just as we're now like him, the man of the earth. So we will someday be like Christ the man from heaven. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, it ain't just one dead guy who came back. It is the beginning. The beginning of a movement, of a revolution, of a new age, of something bigger. It is the beginning of life after life after death. Breaking in now as a coming attraction of what the future holds for those who are in him. Which means when we want to know what it's like, we can look to Jesus. What was it like to be Jesus risen from the dead? Oh, how the Bible just teases us with things. Leaving us with images and pictures and suggestions, but just short of spelling it out all the way. I think of Jesus, who was both recognized by his disciples and yet not recognized at the same time, something similar but different. I think about how he walked and talked and ate and how he remembered, he, he, he continued the conversations with his disciples about things he talked with them about before he had died. He was one who continued to laugh 
to tease, to call out, to teach and remind and encourage and hug and comfort and rebuke and challenge. It suggests to me that his personality was there. He had a body. It was real. It was as real, if not more real, than the body that you and I have today. He went up and had the marks. He had the scars. And he invited his disciples to touch them and feel them, arguably with no pain, suggesting to me that that which Jesus did beforehand for the kingdom of God echoed into eternity with him as a trophy in some kind of way of God honoring the glory that he brought him. And the New Testament says, for you and I, it'll be like that. What will the afterlife be like? I don't fully know. But I know this. God says it will be good. Better by far. Filled with the hope and fullness beyond our comprehension of the joy and peace and presence of God and his people. The way he always intended the way we can barely grasp. Man, I can only imagine.